Alright, so chapter 16. Still talking about galaxies, but in this case we're going to be talking about galaxies and dark matter. Now we referenced this a little bit when we talked about our own galaxy and there was a rotation curve we mentioned. And the rotation curve of our galaxy behaved not quite the way we expected it to. And what was happening was that as you looked further and further out in the galaxy, it started way down here and jumped up and then it kind of just leveled off and even started to increase. This is the rotational velocity. How fast are those stars moving? So how fast are those stars moving? If they're close into the galaxy, how fast are they moving when they're further out? How fast are they spinning around the galaxy? How many kilometers per second are they moving? And then on this side we were plotting the distance. How far are you away? Here you're at the center of the galaxy. Here you're further out. You know, here's, your edge of the, here's your visible edge of the galaxy. That's where the galaxy seems to end, which means that once we get beyond that mass, it should start to decline. The speed should slow down. Now we're all the mass is outside and it should behave just like the planets in the solar system. Mercury whips around the fastest. Figure out how fast Mercury is going. It's whipping around the fastest because all the mass is in the sun. There's no mass once you get out past the sun. Little specks, you know, little meaningless specks that we happen to live on. But there's no mass to speak of compared to the mass of the sun. And as you go further out towards Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, they move slower and slower. But that's not what we see in the galaxy. In the galaxy we note that this continues to stay even to actually to rising. And that's one of the problems is trying to explain that and one of the ways we explain it is by considering dark matter. That there's more matter out there than we otherwise account for. So what we're going to look at first is dark matter in the universe. And so we'll look at this not just in our galaxy but look at it in other galaxies as well. So how does this work for other galaxies? Is ours unusual that we have this dark matter? Or do they all seem to have this same sort of evidence that shows that there's got to be a lot more matter there than we can actually account for? Then we'll look at things like galaxy collisions. I said galaxies do collide together quite frequently. Um, The collisions take tens of millions of years, hundreds of millions of years, so it's not a smash impact done type collision uh, from our point of view, but we see galaxies in various stages of collisions as we can look at them. And then how do they form? How did galaxies form and evolve? How did they evolve and change over time? We'll come back to black holes and we'll still talk a little bit more about black holes and active galaxies and how that all works together. And then we're going to lead into the next chapter by looking at the universe on the very largest scales. So looking at things, instead of looking at just, you know, galaxy sized things, you know, minuscule little tiny things compared to the size of the universe, we're going to look at the universe on the largest scales. We're going to talk about things that are hundreds of millions of light years across. So how do the galaxies cluster together and how do those clusters cluster together? So not just looking at a single individual galaxy, but looking at many thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of galaxies together. And that kind of leads us into chapter 17, which is cosmology or the study of the origin and future of the universe. So that'll be our chapter to cover mostly Monday and Tuesday of next week. 
So looking at some other galaxies, there's the little pink line that we looked at before. That was our Milky Way. That's sort of what I kind of sketched up here on the board. That as you start off close to the center of the galaxy, rises up real quick and levels off and seems to stay even. Other galaxies, we see exactly the same thing. Here are light curves for five other galaxies and we don't see a case where they actually start to decline. We would expect once you get beyond all the matter and if you're sitting here looking at this galaxy, well I see lots of matter here, right? I see lots of matter going out here but somewhere out here you would think that 99% of the matter is now inside you. You've got that big black hole at the center. You've got all these stars and dust clouds within your orbit. You would expect that you're within, that you're outside all that matter and stars should then start to orbit as the planets do in the solar system. But they don't. We don't find a galaxy that shows that. Every galaxy we look at where we can measure this rotation curve always shows that it's stay steady, might decline a little bit, might be rising a little bit like the Milky Ways, might be staying pretty much steady, but we don't see the cases where they're actually declining. So this allows us to determine the masses. We can then say what kind of mass do these have to have to produce this kind of curve. So we can look at this curve, we can then measure the mass of these galaxies. How much matter is missing? How much dark matter must there be? And what we find, oops, sorry, Another way to measure galaxies, then I'll give you the results. Another way that we can measure galaxies is to look at the galaxies in a cluster. If we look at galaxies in a cluster, they're all moving in different directions. Okay, like a star cluster, you know, they're not all moving together through space. They've got individual motions within that. And what you might see in looking at a cluster here is that this galaxy is moving this way, this one's moving away, this one's here. They're really all in a great big orbit around each other. So each one is in an orbit around some common center of mass of this entire galaxy cluster. Average them all up, there's some sort of center to the cluster and this one's moving this way, this one's this way, and they stay, they have to stay together. Now if it's a galaxy cluster that is bound together by gravity, we can then calculate that. How do we know the cluster is bound? Well we know it's bound together because it's still there. If it was not gravitationally bound together, this one moving this direction would eventually work its way out of the galaxy. Might take it a billion years. But what's a billion years if this cluster is, is still there 10, 12 billion years later? What's a billion years of that? We're gonna, in billions of years we would have lost this entire cluster if there was not enough matter in that cluster to hold everything bound together. So they would slowly disperse out into space. Now that's what happens in an open cluster of stars. Remember I told you about two different types of clusters. We had a globular cluster. They're still bound together. They formed 10 billion years ago. Guess what? They're still there. They're still all together. All the stars are still there. Yeah, maybe the odd one or two has gotten thrown out by you know, close, passing close to a black hole or something else. But overall, all the, all the stars are still there. In an open cluster, stars are there now, but they're slowly spreading out into space. That's what would happen to the galaxies if there was not enough matter there to hold them together. So we can calculate based on how fast they're moving, the faster these galaxies are moving, the more matter has to be here to keep them bound together. If they're moving very slow, you don't need a lot of matter to hold them together. If they're moving quickly, you do need a lot of mass to actually hold these galaxies in place. 
And that's what we see when we do calculations. We show that galaxy measurements show that for a typical galaxy, we need between 3 and 10 times more matter than we can observe. So we look at that galaxy. We can, look at, we can see all the stars in it. We can estimate how many stars there are. So we can estimate the stars. We can make radio measurements to estimate how much gas is there. We can use infrared measurements. We can estimate how much dust is there. Try to take everything into account. And we still find out that for every bit of matter that we find, for every star's worth of matter that we find, we need between 3 and 10 more stars to account for, the mat- for how that rotation curve appears. So you got one star. We see one star. There's got to be 10 invisible stars with that same mass for each one of those stars. How many billions of stars are there in a galaxy? A lot. So there's a lot of mass that is not there, that is not seen, that is difficult to explain how these galaxies, how the, how the rotation curves work. Now we thought that was bad. Let's expand it out to the cluster scale. So now we look at the clusters. We measure the clusters. We say they're gravitationally bound because they'd fly apart in hundreds of millions to maybe a billion years. And yet, 12 billion years later, they're still bound together. So we know that there must be enough gravity there to hold them together. Well, when we add up all of those, we're missing even more. There's even more matter that we're not seeing. Between 10 and 100 times more matter that is needed. So that means for every galaxy you see in a cluster, there's got to be at least 10 sometimes 100 galaxies worth of matter. It's not just stars worth of matter now is within the galaxy, but hundreds of times of hundreds of galaxies. For every galaxy you see, there's 100 essentially invisible galaxies worth of matter around that cluster. There has to be that much more mass in order to keep it bound. So even though we said there was dark matter within clusters, within galaxies, so we said there's some there, but even if you add all that up, That's not even enough. There's got to be more dark matter within the galaxy clusters in order to keep those clusters bound together. So there's a lot of matter that is missing, hiding, or what we call now dark matter as as something that we just can't see. Dark matter, again, means that we can't see it in visible light. So we can't see it in visible light. We can't see it in infrared. We can't see it in radio waves. We can account for anything that we can see across the electromagnetic spectrum. So this has to be some kind of matter that does not emit electromagnetic radiation. Doesn't emit x-rays, doesn't emit gamma rays, doesn't emit visible light. So nothing that we would be able to see. So what could it possibly, I mean, what could possibly be there? And we talked about some of the possibilities when we, in chapter 14. Now when we look at some of the clusters, We do see some gases. Of course, these are some of the things we can now detect. Um, We see some material that's very dense towards the center, X-ray emission towards these clusters of galaxies. And um, within the clusters, this is intra-cluster, inside the cluster, and a very hot gas, 10 million degrees. So extremely hot. It's almost as hot as the core of the sun, meaning it's moving extremely quickly. And there's some matter that is associated with that, that is some gas that is associated with that cluster. So the cluster of galaxies, you know, you see all of these. Again, what you're looking at is all galaxies. And as you look at them in the x-ray portion, you see the cluster. It sort of dominates. The bluer portion is where the x-rays are being emitted from. 
visible light picture shows all the individual galaxies. The clusters is where you're seeing this very hot gas. So there's some material there, but again, not enough material. And now we can, once you can count it, it still doesn't count. Once you can count it and see it, it's emitting something. So it doesn't count as the dark matter. The dark matter has to be something that we cannot see at all. So this is likely a very old gas that has been around since the origin of the universe. We also see evidence for some of this gas in certain galaxies. And this is a type of galaxy called a head-to-tail galaxy. It's a radio galaxy. We see two, uh, one image of it here and then a blown-up image uh, looking at it in the radio, radio portion. And here the radio and the visible because there's the actual galaxy itself. There's the galaxy. And then it has these radio lobes coming out behind it. Now remember we saw this in one of the other uh, in the active galaxies, we saw those jets coming out, but they went out like this, right? They went out this way and they went out this way, directly opposite to each other. They didn't go behind, they didn't get swept back behind. Probably what's happening there is that you've got those, these two great jets coming out, but as this galaxy is moving very quickly through dust, I'll try not to whack anybody in the head, they get pushed behind, right? If I'm moving very quickly, and I've got two arms sticking out there, what's the, what's the pressure of going through the gas going to do? It's going to push them back behind you. So that looks like what is happening in this kind of, in this kind of galaxy. That this galaxy is moving very quickly through some of this gas and the radio waves, get the radio lobes, the material there that's being excited is initially coming out nice and straight here in two straight lines, but it's being pushed back behind by the, the speed of that galaxy moving through the cluster, through that cluster and through that gas. Now again, like with the other active galaxies, we see the galaxy is here. There's the central portion. Most of the rest of this is way outside the visible part of that galaxy. So we're starting to see, we're seeing some of the matter, but not near enough to account for the rotation curves that we see, not near enough to account for the uh, clusters being bound together. There's still got to be a lot more mass that we don't know about. This is the very early gas, as it's called primordial, meaning that it goes back to the very early days of the universe. So this could be gas that was created uh, when the universe was created and left behind. So not new material that was put out there, not expanding from supernova explosions that throw material out, but a very, very early gas, pretty much solidly hydrogen and helium, that would be left behind. So there is some material there, but not near enough. Not near enough matter to account for the excess gravity that we're seeing. Even with all of this, those, those galaxies should still decline down. The speed of their stars at the very edge should become less and less and less. And we don't see that. Even with this, ga with this gas, the galaxy still should be flying apart. This galaxy cluster shouldn't exist. You know, after 10, 12, 13 billion years, they should have spread apart into space. They haven't, they haven't done that. So there's still even more matter than this that we need to be able to find. Now let's look a little bit about collisions on galaxies. Um, we t I gave you, gave you an example of this in the room here. And I said galaxies collide, but the stars don't. Um, so when galaxies collide, which they do quite often, that's just because galaxies are very big in size compared to how far apart they are, uh, typically. 
So if you take those 20 beach balls and bounce them around the room, those are our galaxies. They're going to eventually collide together. Whereas 20 little BBs bouncing around the room, well, they're very tiny compared to how far apart they are. And they're going to pass by each other. And sometimes they'll pass close. And sometimes they'll pass far apart. But you wouldn't expect if you could just have you know, 20 BBs bouncing around the room that they're often going to bump into exactly bump into each other. If you get 20 big beach balls bouncing around this room, they're going to be crashing into each other all the time. So this is an example of a galaxy uh, that where a galaxy has collided, perhaps with one of these other galaxies. Um, very unusual shape. Right? Doesn't look anything like any of the galaxies we talked about. Doesn't look like a spiral or a, a lenticular or an irregular or an elliptical galaxy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Irregular galaxies would be just about anything else. So it, would be, it would be classified. Actually, they sometimes will classify them as a peculiar galaxy. Because irregular galaxies also have another property. They tend to be very small. And this, is a, this would be a bigger galaxy. But yes, you are correct. That could be classified as irregular. Often when they're larger ones that something looks like something unusual has happened, they actually get classified as peculiar or unusual. You know, something unusual about the galaxy. But you are correct. you are correct in that, yes. But this seems to be the result of a collision. So perhaps one of these other galaxies, 110 million years ago, 100 million years ago, passed through this and splashed into this galaxy like a rock splashing into the pond. And we're seeing the results. You know, here's the little wave coming out. As the wave came out from that splash in the pond, with this galaxy splashing through another galaxy, we see very blue. Right, very blue area of would be intense star formation. So lots of star formation could be present. Could be present there. You'd get a lot of that if two galaxies collide together. Again, the galaxies collide, the gas clouds collide. The gas clouds are big. Glass clouds can be, you know, um, stars are incredibly tiny. Gas clouds that form them are really gigantic. Not a lot of material in them, but they're spread well apart. They're spread well apart. They can be, they can stretch over many, many light years. So they can they collide just like the galaxies do, and that causes star formation to begin. So we may be seeing some evidence of uh, galaxy collisions and some evidence of star formation in this case. So galaxies do collide and quite and quite often. Here's another one. Again, we can't watch them colliding. We're, we're watching it collide, but we're getting one snapshot. You know, we're looking at you know, one-tenth of a second of a person's life. So we're frozen there for a tenth of a second. That's what we're seeing. And our whole lifespan you know, is going to last that. So this will take you know, many millions of years to complete. If we could come back and look at this again in a million years, you know, if these galaxies are in the process of colliding, this one will have moved in a little bit more. Gravity will have had time to distort more of some of the other galaxies. Come back another million years later, 10 million years later. Eventually, you'd probably find that there's one galaxy here incredibly distorted. What if you could come back you know, 50 or 100 million years later or a billion years later? You'd probably be back to seeing one galaxy. Everything would have settled down. right? Throw a big rock in the pond, makes a big splash in all those waves. But if you look at it you know, a minute or two later, it's nice and calm again. Well, much longer time frame than a, than a few minutes. But if two galaxies collide together, they're going to really distort each other. They're really going to mess things up for a while. 
But if you could come back you know, hundreds of millions of years, a billion years later, you might not even know that the galaxies has co had collided. Likely this is where a lot of our galaxies have come from. A lot of the large galaxies that we see today were probably formed through collisions of smaller galaxies over time. So they would have collided together and formed the structures that we see today. They would have formed the, that I've erased now, the spiral galaxies, the elliptical galaxies, and the lenticular galaxies, depending on the exact positions and exactly how they collided. Here's another example. These are the, and this is the antenna galaxy. And there's a pair of galaxies here. This is actually a photograph on this side. You look at here. And if you zoom in, this is looking just at the core. Just at this little green box here, looking just at this core. So, but there's the antenna galaxy. You've got one galaxy here, one here, and you've got a stream of material going out this way, and another stream of material flowing out this way. So, could you form this as a collision? There's a core of a galaxy, core of a galaxy, super, super star clusters. We talk about star clusters, super star clusters is a gigantic star cluster. So instead of the star formation going on slowly as it went in our, gal in our galaxy, going on incredibly fast, forming much bigger star clusters than you normally would. That likely would be the result of a collision. What you see on the left-hand side is an example of a computer simulation of this. If you, by computer, take two galaxies, build two galaxies, put all the stars there, and then bring them close together. Let them move at certain velocities close to each other. As they get closer and closer, their gravity of the individual stars and the gravity of the black hole at the center is going to start to distort their shapes. And if you run that simulation, these started out as two nice symmetrical galaxies. But as you brought them closer together, as they collided, then material got thrown off. And you can see that there is not a perfect resemblance, but at least a resemblance to what we see in the, in the actual image. Now, this is a photograph of what we see on the sky. This is a computer simulation. Now the computer simulation is going to be a lot more, is a lot more symmetrical. Everything looks exactly the same on both sides, right? You can know it's a mirror image. You can just flip that over. And that's a matter of how we tend to put things into the computer. You put things as a nice uniform big ball of stars. You put it in and this one's, this one's the same as this one and how they collide and it's going to come out symmetrical. Certainly in real life things don't work out that way typically. You know, this galaxy might have more mass than this one. Uh, more mass might have been on one side of the galaxy than the other. So that's why we may see in this one we see a nice big stream on this side, a much smaller stream on the other side. So, but the overall structure that you see, you can see a lot of what's there. You see the two nuclei down here. You see a stream off to either side. So we can actually do simulations to look at galaxy collisions and to see how they, how they will work and, and that we can actually reproduce some of the things that we see in the sky. Now, how did we form galaxies? This is how we think galaxies have formed over uh, billions of years now. That galaxies right after the Big Bang did not form as you know, great big elliptical and great big spiral galaxies. They actually formed as kind of gigantic star clusters, you know, super big star clusters. So there were groupings, but the galaxies formed later. And when we look out very far back here, we're looking way, way back towards the edge of the universe. We're looking back 12, 13 billion years ago. And what did we see? We don't see a lot of galaxies. 
we see smaller galaxies and we see star clusters. Very, very tiny objects. Nothing like we see today. So what we think might have happened is that these galaxies slowly combine together to form bigger galaxies and then later bigger galaxies and so on until we form the large galaxies that we actually see today. So we think that galaxies like the Milky Way probably form not just from one or two collisions but from thousands of collisions. You know, thousands, starting with little tiny ga galaxies combining together. So little tiny ones combining together to slightly bigger ones and bigger and bigger and then eventually forming the galaxies that we see today. Um, some of these are, those are five gigaparsecs away, 5,000 parsecs away. Um, 5,000, sorry, five, yeah, five billion parsecs away. So we're talking really right at the edge of the universe, right at the edge of the observable universe, far back as we can possibly see. You know, Hubble Space Telescope, looking back to some of the very deep fields way back there where there doesn't seem to, there's nothing close by, but where we're really looking back at the very edge of the universe. And you get a few stars in the fiend. This is what this is. This is one of those Hubble images. And almost everything you're seeing in here is a galaxy. Uh, there's one that's actually a star. So that one is probably a star in our galaxy, very faint star that just happens to be in that direction. But almost everything you're seeing in that is a galaxy or a very small cluster of stars. Everything else that you're seeing in there, that one being, being a star. And that over time, over many billions of years, they will have merged together to form the galaxies that we see today and the types of galaxies that we see today. Here again is that Hubble, as another Hubble uh, deep, view, deep field. So looking very far back. Really what we see when we look at these, the most distant galaxies, and I should say all the numbers on there are telling you about the distances. So the very small numbers are very close galaxies. Very big numbers are very far away. So when you look at the ones that are very far away, you've got to point them out with an arrow there, right? There's one at, with a uh, redshift of 3.3. That's pretty far back. We're getting back to some of the furthest objects. There's one at 2.8 up here. Very, very small galaxies. The ones that are the furthest away seem to be irregular. So when we look back in the past, we don't see lots of giant elliptical galaxies, big spiral galaxies. Astronomy has a lot of disadvantages. We can't experiment. We can't go look at things from other points of view. But we have an, we have an advantage in that we can look at what things were like billions of years ago. Because when we look out, it takes light a certain amount of time to travel. So if we're looking at something that is 13 billion light years away, we're not seeing it as it is right now. We can't. That light hasn't had time to travel to us. We see it as it was 13 billion years ago. So we can actually look at the universe. When we look at the universe and look out to the depths of the universe, we're not only looking out in space, but we're looking backwards in time. The further out you get, the further back in time you look. We look at the sun, we're looking back in time eight minutes. Eight minutes and 20 seconds or so. So the sun could have disappeared eight minutes ago, and we still got 20 seconds before we're even going to know about it. It takes that much time. If we talk about some of the planets, they're hours. They're hours away. Send a signal out to Jupiter, it can take you know, an hour to get, a signal, to get a signal there and back. Stars, we're talking about years. We see Alpha Centauri as it was for a little over four years ago. 
We don't know what it looks like right now. Did it blow up? No reason it should have gone supernova. It's not the type of star that would. But we won't know what it looks like today till a little over four years from now. So 2017, a few months later, so the end towards the end of 2017, then we'll know what Alpha Centauri looked like today. But then we want to know what it looked like then. We've got to wait another four years. And as you get further and further out in space, the Andromeda Galaxy, two million years ago. So what does it look like today? Again, could be different. Could have been several supernovae that went off in the Andromeda Galaxy since then. We might not see them for another million years. Depends on when they actually occurred. When we're getting back to the edge of the universe, we're seeing things as they were 10, 12 billion years ago. So what do these galaxies look like now? Well, all we've got to do is look at the more nearby galaxies. When we look very far back, we don't see the big elliptical galaxies. We don't see a lot of them. And we don't see the big spiral galaxies. The ones with the biggest numbers all he on here are all little tiny. See the ones with the little tiny arrows, a couple of them here. Said so that one here. What else is there? Well, there's another one at 3.2. Uh, there's one at 2.8. Ones that are very, very far away all look like little tiny irregular galaxies. And a lot of the other ones that aren't even labeled on, labeled on there. So we think that it sort of supports the idea that galaxies formed by mergers. When we look back in time, we see lots of irregular galaxies. We don't see a lot of uh, big elliptical and big spiral galaxies. All the ones that we see that are large, large elliptical galaxies here are ones with much, much smaller numbers that are much closer to us. Here's a couple more um, evidence for galaxy collisions. This is one of those uh, starburst galaxies we mentioned in the last chapter on active galaxies. Starburst galaxies were galaxies that are undergoing a burst of star formation. Right? They make, makes the name make sense in this case, right? They're a starburst galaxy because they're undergoing a burst of star formation. They have unusual amount of star formation going on. In some cases, we can actually see the two colliding galaxies. You can see perhaps a galaxy here and a galaxy here. Here you can see another galaxy that way and one this way that are actually colliding. As they collide, they cause an increase in the amount of star formation that is going on and cause a burst of star formation to occur. And the, second, the third one here, we might have gotten far enough along in the collision that either those two have coalesced together or the second galaxy has moved by and is well off and not in view anymore. But again, and more evidence for, colli for collisions, that collisions are this, are this common in the universe. Galaxies are colliding all the time. There are many that are in the process of colliding now. There are some that are going to be colliding, including our own, that will collide with some of the small satellite galaxies, will collide into us, and the Milky Way and the Andromeda galaxy are, again, on a collision course for many billions of years from now, but they're actually going to collide. They will collide together and likely coalesce to form an even bigger galaxy. So the process seems to be continuing that the larger galaxies, galaxies are still getting bigger. They're cannibalizing each other, taking all the other little galaxies and forming much more, much bigger galaxies. Here's another case of galactic cannibalism. When we look at this galaxy and we kind of zoom in and look in just at the center, this is a more detailed blurred out image in the red allows you to see the entire extent of the galaxy. When you take a shorter image just at the core here, 
we see that there's not one core, but one, two, three cores in this galaxy. Now, a galaxy wouldn't normally form with three cores. I mean, the way we talk about everything, typically you form, you know, star forms at the center, everything forms symmetrically. You're going to form one core, one giant black hole at the center of this galaxy. So what here is probably evidence that this galaxy has collided in the relatively recent past. And if we could come back and look at this in a few million years, it would probably have one core again. Right? These will all slowly coalesce together. So it's still in the process of colliding. If we could come back in millions of years, these would likely all be coalesced into one single core at the center of this galaxy. So again, another, another piece of evidence for the collisions. But again, we can't sit there and watch it. We can see all these different stages, but we can't see, we can't watch galaxies actually collide literally. Now, computer simulation-wise, we can very easily collide galaxies together. We can take two galaxies, build galaxies on the computer, and smash them together. But differences, and try to compare those how things happen in real life. But we can never sit there and watch these. You know, we can sit there all, all our lives. We can start now. And we can sit there for the next 50, 100 years and watch those. And guess what? They're not going to change one bit. 100 years from now, it's still going to have three, gal- three cores. It's going to take millions of years for those to slowly coalesce. It's just that the time frames are so much longer in astronomy than they are typically, than in what we're used to. Now here's a simulation. Uh, this is an idea of how you can get an idea of how you can possibly create a spiral galaxy. I said, you know, spiral galaxies just don't seem to naturally occur. It doesn't seem like they'll naturally occur. There's, how do we get that spiral structure to start? We talked about density waves as a way to uh, build the galaxy, to keep the spiral structure going once it's formed. But how can we actually form that spiral galaxy in the first place? And one possibility is this is a simulation uh, showing a collision between two galaxies where they don't really collide directly but one kind of scoots around the edge very close to that other galaxy and initiates the spiral structure. So this was done by computer simulation. Again, all you put in is the stars. So you put in your positions of your stars, you put in the masses of your stars for the two galaxies, and you start one moving towards, towards the other. And then you all, the only calculations you do are gravity. What does gravity do to each of those stars? And interestingly enough, once you run this over time, over many millions of years, you've turned a galaxy that had no spiral structure in it, just uniformly distributed, denser at the center and spread out towards the edges, but no spiral structure, into something that has a very distinct spiral structure. You can see very distinct spiral arms now coming out of this galaxy. So one possible way to form spiral structure in a galaxy is through collisions. So is by colliding galaxies together could have formed spiral structure. Again, we see lots of spiral galaxies, but unlike collisions between stars, which would be very rare, they'd be very common. So you could account for a good number of spiral galaxies by this method. And computer simulations show that it does seem to, does seem to work. All right, black holes and active galaxies. These are a couple of very massive black holes orbiting each other. So you have some very massive black holes. This is a visible light picture. So of course we're not seeing the black holes directly themselves. And then if we look at this in the x-ray, 
portion. Lots of x-rays being emitted as material spirals into those black holes. Again, another set of an idea of collisions. Galaxies have collided together. We now have two big black holes near the center of this galaxy. They probably won't last together. They're about 1,000 parsecs away from each other. Boy, they're way apart, right? They're 1,000 parsecs, 3,000 light years. That's a good chunk of the size of our galaxy. But slowly, slowly, they are decaying down and their orbits will eventually merge, again, in astronomical timescales. Don't wait for it next week, don't wait for it next month, but hundreds of millions of years from now, they'll likely merge together. And if we could come back and look at them again in that time, we'd see just a single black hole there. So we tend to think that through collisions, the black holes at the center of galaxies have also been built up. So it builds them up. It also feeds them. Those collisions, that colli when they collide together, more material is gathered by those black holes. Right? So you could have a completely dormant black hole just sitting there nice and quiet, not doing anything. If you collide a galaxy with it, all of a sudden you're going to start shoving stars and gas clouds in towards that black hole again, and it's going to wake up. So, unlike some uh, volcanoes which will go completely dormant and never reactivate again, a uh, black hole will never do that. If you give it a source of energy, it's eventually going to begin to produce more energy again, eventually going to become a very active black hole. Here we look at a galaxy in the radio portion of the spectrum. Again, we're seeing evidence for those black holes at the center. When we look at it here, we see a very strong blue shift on one side. That right in here, it's moving towards us very quickly. Other side is moving away from us very quickly. We're looking at a very small area, two-tenths of a parsec. I know, it's still big compared to everything we're used to. But two-tenths of a parsec, about half a little more, half to three-quarters of a light year. So we're not even talking the distance between the sun and the nearest star. We're talking much, much closer than that. And we've got some incredibly dense object with a lot of mass to be able to cause the motions that we see. It has to be a lot of matter there. So again, more evidence for the black holes that we looked at and likely created through mergers, creating a black hole that size, then the black hole from this galaxy and the black hole from this galaxy. If you start off with one with four million solar masses and one with five, well, you collide them together and all of a sudden you've got a nine million solar mass black hole. After the next collision, you might gain another couple million solar masses. You're up to 12 or 13. <coughs> Over, collision, over a number of collisions, you'll build up a great, you'll build up very large black holes at the center. All right. So when we look at these black holes, what do we see? This is actually a graph looking at the, uh, the comparing the bulge size to the size of the black hole. So how big is the bulge of the galaxy? And if you recall, the bulge of the galaxy was in a spiral galaxy at least. You had a center and you had a bulge shape around it and then you had a kind of disk. Elliptical galaxies have kind of a bulge too, not quite the same, but you can sort of make out the denser area towards the center of an elliptical galaxy as well. And if you find out how much mass there is in one and compare it to how much mass there is in another, how much mass there is in the black hole at the center made through other measurements, then you find out that there seems to be somewhat of a relationship that the galaxies with the bigger bulges 
seem to have much more massive black holes. So you've got something like the Milky Way here, uh, some relatively small bulge, relatively small black hole, only a few million times the mass of the Sun. When you get up to some of these really big galaxies out here, these are some very large elliptical galaxies way up at the edge. Well, this would be 10 million, 100 million solar masses, 1 billion times the mass of the Sun. So you have galaxies that are several billion times the mass of the Sun. The galaxy, black holes at the center of a galaxy that are many billions of times the mass of the Sun, not just a few million. So there seems to be a relationship between that. Is it perfect? Certainly not exactly. We've got some, some galaxies that seem to be a little bit too big, have a little bit too big of a bulge, some that are a little bit too small. But overall, you don't see a lot of galaxies way out in this corner. Nothing here. You don't see any way up in the top in the upper, upper left-hand corner. You don't see a lot of galaxies here with very small bulges but a gigantic black hole at the center. So there is some relationship between those two. How are we doing? All right, let me see. Quasars, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of mentioned this, alluded to this before. I said that quasars might be a, a preliminary or very early version of a spiral galaxy. So that quasars would eventually form a spiral galaxy, or in fact they are a spiral galaxy. All you're seeing is the very central core, the very bright central core. They're all very far away. We don't see quasars closer than 10 billion light years. Okay, universe is maybe 13.7 or so billion light years old. Quasars only existed in those very first few billion years. So we don't see them, but more modern uh, images more detail, we're actually able to see in some cases a little bit of galaxy around the very bright part of the quasar. So these may be a very early stage of a spiral galaxy forming. Here the core is incredibly bright, overwhelms the rest of the galaxy, then becoming a Seifert galaxy, where the core is still many times brighter than a typical spiral galaxy, but not near as bright as it was here. And then eventually that black hole, as it's no longer being fed, will quiet down and will get just a normal spiral galaxy. So these might be an actually an early, early, early phase of galaxy formation. So quasars may have been some of the very earliest, uh, earliest spiral galaxies. All right, I've got like two more here. And then I'm going to stop and do, we'll go do the exam. Um, black holes in active galaxies, we're looking at the quasars really ended about 10 billion years ago. We don't see any that are closer than that. We don't find any that, any that close. All the quasars are much, much further away than 10, 10 billion light years away or further. So we don't see any quasars that are any, close, any closer than that. So they only existed a very long time ago. The quasar may go away the black hole doesn't go away. There's a black hole at the center. It isn't gone. It stays, it's staying right where it is. It's just become quiet. So really what it tells us is that really we believe that most of these galaxies, if not every single galaxy, has a very massive black hole at the center. Maybe not all galaxies. Maybe some of the small galaxies don't. Maybe some of those small irregular galaxies do not have a supermassive black hole but probably every single large galaxy like our own Milky Way has a very large black hole at the center because 
This was what was powering them before. The ones with the larger black holes are the ones that would have been seen as quasars many billions of years ago. And let me see, yep, this is the last one I want to do is sort of the evolution of galaxies, how we think galaxies come to form. And this comes back to your question about the radio, when the radio galaxies when I was doing the different classifications. We think that in time, a long time ago, going way back to the left hand side here, galaxies were pretty much all irregular. So little irregular blob galaxies that would slowly be colliding together. There'd have been a lot more irregulars than there were today. A lot of irregular galaxies. What we see today is the result of many combinations. So these two galaxies, two little irregular galaxies combined, form a much smaller galaxy, form another bigger galaxy, maybe starting to form a black hole here at the center. You might combine a couple of those together to form the beginnings of a quasar. Right? You've got the galaxy here, black hole at the center, there's the galaxy, and you're starting to get some, uh, some sort of structure around it. Then what happens next depends on exactly how the galaxies merge. You could have a major merger, two big quasars colliding together, or you might get a minor merger. You might just continue on this process by keep adding small galaxies to this one after another. If you have a minor merger, let's do that one first, that's when you might develop a spiral galaxy. So you get these colliding and building up those spiral arms with never any great gigantic collision that destroys them or that causes all the galaxies to form, all the stars, gas, and dust in the galaxy to form stars at once. So that would go from a quasar to a Seifert, then to a normal spiral galaxy that we see today. The other case that you might get is you might get two of these quasars colliding. Certainly possible. They're, they're big. They're big galaxies just like anything else. That would be a major merger. And that would be what we see as a radio galaxy. Those two smash together. All of a sudden you've got these two big objects smashing together. All their gas and dust is used up at once. You have an incredible burst of star formation, an incredible amount of energy released all at once. We see that radio galaxy, uh, sometimes known as a blazar. Um, a lot of energy being produced. But you've used, up all the, you've used up all of the gas and dust all at once. So instead of using it a little bit at a time as a spiral did, and retain some to this day, a radio galaxy did not. It used it all up, did all that star formation, and now just is a giant elliptical galaxy. No star formation for billions of years. So sort of a rough idea, and I'll come back on Monday and review that a little bit before we go on to, looks like the last section, the universe on very large scales is the last section. So I'm going to cover that, and then we'll get on, finish, finish this, 16, and then get on to 17 on Monday. Questions? Questions? No?